The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay, when you, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. The key phrase in our Gospel lesson comes right in the middle, verse 29, when that lawyer who was asking about how he could inherit eternal life, when that lawyer, desiring to justify himself, asked Jesus who his neighbor is. He knew the law. He knew what it said. You heard him say it clearly. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the sum of the law. That's what's good. Everyone knows that's what's good. But the lawyer, the lawyer was trying to use the law contrary to its purpose. He was trying to use it to justify himself, and that never, ever works out. But before we get there, just a bit of review about some of these fundamental concepts, some of these fundamental things in the Christian faith. God's law, first of all, given by God, tells us what is good. And you have those two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And you can think of the Ten Commandments as kind of fleshing out those two commandments even more thoroughly. But then you can also see the law of God fleshed out in Jesus. St. John tells us that in this we have known what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us. That's what the law looks like, a beautiful and precious thing, loving others more than you love yourself. That's what God's law is. Now, if you know anything about your own heart and about your own actions, you know that you have not always kept the law. You do not keep the law, and when you break it, that is called sin. That's as simple as it is, transgressing God's law. 
breaking his word, not doing what he says is good. And the consequences for sin, it's not just a slap on the wrist. It's not just a try harder next time. Or really, it's not such a big deal. But St. Paul tells us that the wages of sin is death. The punishment for sin, even the tiniest sin, is death. That's what God said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and that's the reason we're in this whole mess. Because we sinful human beings love ourselves more than we love God and more than we love our neighbors. And so we break God's law, and in our sin, we plummet straight towards death. Now, God gives his law for our good, and we often talk about three main uses, three main ways that God uses his law. It's helpful to remember these. The first one is as a curb. So God's law keeps you on the road in the same way that a curb keeps a car on the road. Really, God's law in this use is just staving off disaster in the world. So think about the Tower of Babel. Remember that story where these people in the plains of Shinar are trying to build a tower to the heavens and God looks at them and he says, if they keep following the desires of their heart without any restraint, if they chase their passions... Without anyone intervening, we're going to have hell breaking loose on earth. And so, what did God do? He stepped in. He curbed their wickedness. That's what God's law does. So everybody knows that you should not murder, and that's good. Everybody knows that you should not steal, that you shouldn't lie, that you shouldn't cheat. Everybody knows that, and it's good. It keeps this world full of sinful hearts. It keeps this world from becoming more sinful than we could handle. God puts a curb on things with his law, but he also holds up his law to your face. This is the second use. It's a mirror. I've talked about this one an awful lot. This is perhaps the most important use of God's law for us sinners. It's like a mirror that shows you all of your warts and all of your wrinkles and all of your blemishes. So this is like Nathan, the prophet Nathan, showing up in David's room when David had sinned with Bathsheba and Nathan telling David that he was the man who had broken God's law. God's law, when you read the commandments, it shines a light on your heart. It exposes all of the things that you would want to hide, all of the things that you would like to do in the darkness, the things you want to keep secret. God's law puts them in the daylight, and it should make us tremble. No one gets to stand in God's presence hiding anything. He is light and his light exposes everything. And so this second use of the law is terrible. It's terrible to have such an accurate mirror, to have something that tells the truth so clearly and painfully about our hearts, and yet there it is. God gives it to us for our good, so that we wouldn't think we are better than we are, so that we would recognize just how desperately we need his mercy. There's a third use, and this is a joyous use of God's law for us Christians. So David puts it this way in the Psalms. He says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Or we prayed it this way in the Collect. That we may obtain what you have promised, make us love what you have commanded. For those who have been rescued from sin, for those who have been forgiven and saved from death, God's law is wonderful because it shows you what is good. It shows you what pleases God. It shows you how to love your neighbor, which is what you want to do as a Christian. Hearts made new. You want to love your neighbor, and God's law shows you what that looks like. 
To the sinner who has been forgiven by Jesus, the example of Jesus is a joyous example. And every day our prayer can be, make me more like him. What a glorious thing that is. Wouldn't that be marvelous? In fact, that's the goal of all of this. That in the end, we would be just like Jesus. That God's law would be written in our hearts. That we would always do what is good. That we would love the way that he loved us. That's the goal. And that is where God is taking us. That's how God uses his law in our lives. As a stepping stone to get us there. And how you react to God's law tells you a lot. So pay attention to how you hear God's law. You saw how it happened for the lawyer today. He came to Jesus asking what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, well, you know what's written in the law. And in fact, he did. Love God and love your neighbor. But when he heard those words and when Jesus told him, okay, if you want to keep the law, then do it. He started getting really uncomfortable, nervous. He wondered, could it really be true? Is that really what would be good? Is that how I get into eternal life? And this is thematic throughout our lives when we hear God's law. We often have sinful desires that lead us to ask questions like the lawyer asked, and who is my neighbor? So consider all of these different ways that the law might strike you. When God's law comes to you and says, you shall not do whatever it is that you want to do, do you say to yourself, I would like to think about it for a bit. Maybe I'll consider it. Maybe I'll weigh the pros and the cons and find out in the end whether it will work out in my favor to follow God's law. Let me decide, God, whether that is actually a good thing. I'll be the judge of that. Is that how you hear God's law? Desiring not to think about it. Desiring to be the master, to make the law yourself. Or when you hear God's law, desiring to take the edge off of it a bit, do you say to Jesus, Yes, Lord, but nobody keeps your law perfectly. Nobody's perfect. None of us can do it. You can't throw all of us into hell. I'll try my best, and I figure I'm doing better than most. Is that how you hear God's law? Desiring to take the edge off of it. Or when God's law comes to you and says, do this and don't do that, desiring to make light of the situation, do you kind of laugh and say, well, I guess I'm really in trouble then, huh? Do you make a joke out of it? Do you take God's judgment and treat it as if it were not a serious thing? Or desiring to avoid too much discomfort, do you say to Jesus, I'll just take my chances. God's good, isn't he? He has to love me in the end. He has to love me, doesn't he? It'll all work out. Is that what happens when you hear God's law? Or, like this lawyer, when you hear God's law, do you desire to justify yourself? In fact, of all these options, really, the lawyer's option is maybe the best one. Because he at least knows that when he's confronted with God's law, he can't hide from it. It's serious, it's grave, and he has to make a case. But he knows he can't make the case. He hasn't loved God with his whole heart, and he hasn't loved his neighbor as himself. And so maybe his case can stand on this. Let me narrow the field a little bit. Who is my neighbor? You don't mean just anybody that I have to love. So Jesus tells this story. What the lawyer is doing is trying to take God's law He's trying to take God's law and justify himself with it. And that is not how God uses his law. The lawyer has taken it into his own hands and is trying to have his way with it, but that's not what God wants his law to do. So you can picture him there shifting uncomfortably, trying to find a way out from under the words of God's law. 
Yes, Lord, but, but what, if, you know, what if my neighbor is really kind of a gross, disgusting person? What if they've been really mean to me? What if they've sinned against me terribly? Do I really have to love my neighbor? What if? What if it really isn't everything that you say it is? What if there's a way out? What if there's an excuse? Yes, Lord, I know that going to church on Sunday is really important, but Lord, aren't there some legitimate reasons to skip church? Yes, Lord, I know I'm supposed to forgive and show mercy, but yes, Lord, aren't there some times when it's just a little bit too much? Yes, Lord, I know I'm supposed to be patient and kind, but listen, don't some people just get on your nerves? There's always a hope in our hearts that we can find a way around it. The sort of what-ifs, those yes, Lords, but desiring to justify myself, maybe I can wiggle out of this. And that is not what Jesus wants to happen. When he gives his law to you, when he preaches his law to you, he does not want you to wiggle out from underneath it. In fact, the whole point is that you cannot. The law is good, unequivocally good, and it's absolute. Love God and love your neighbor, and how you react to it shows a lot about what's in your heart. And anytime we react to God's law with anything but joy and delight, it reveals that we are at our core law breakers. Any desire beside what God's law commands shows you what's in your heart. And that's a dreadful thing to see, and that's why this lawyer is squirming the way he is. But he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand what Jesus is after, and Jesus is trying to teach him. When he sees the extent of what God's law does to him, he's supposed to learn that he needs help of the most desperate sort. That no amount of arguing, no amount of justifying, no amount of what if can get him out of this bind, can save him from sin and death. Not only has he not kept God's law, but he has not loved it. Now what's so striking about this is that the story Jesus tells is such an obvious story. It's a story in which love and keeping the law are so obviously displayed that the lawyer himself cannot help but answer correctly. Who loved his neighbor? Well, it was the Samaritan. It's such an easy and simple thing, and yet it reveals how far our hearts are from it. So there was the man who was waylaid by robbers on his way down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was in need, desperate need, As so many are, people you encounter day in and day out of your lives, people who have material needs, people who have spiritual needs, this world is full of them. And there he sat by the side of the road, left for dead. And two men walked by who should have known better, a priest and a Levite. They had come from Jerusalem. They'd come presumably from the temple, the place where they'd heard over and over again about the command to love their neighbor as themselves. They were satisfied to have heard about what is good, but they were not interested in doing it. It's like a person who picks up a book and looks at the cover of it and says, oh, because I've seen the cover of this book, I have read it. Or like a gardener who reads Farmer's Almanac every year and buys seeds and prepares his beds in his garden but never puts the seeds in the ground. That's what these men are like. They know what love is. They know what they're supposed to do. They've heard it again and again, and they certainly would say, yes, that's a good thing. Love is good. I should love. And yet, 
when presented with this poor man lying on the side of the road, not only do they pass by, but they pass by on the other side of the road. Certainly not him. Certainly not that kind of a person you want me to help. Love had not taken root in their hearts. They had never been awakened to the desire to do good to others. It was all just sort of a pie-in-the-sky idea to them. It was not something that had taken root in their hearts. Never awakened in them was the desire to be merciful as their heavenly Father was merciful to them. And this is what they had missed. Every time they went to the temple in Jerusalem, they were there to be shown mercy by God, to have all of their sins forgiven, to have all of their needs met, to be set on their way new and clean and perfect. They came into the temple hopeless and in despair, like that man we heard about a few weeks ago, that tax collector, who wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but instead prayed, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's how all of us come into God's presence, and he sends us away, sins forgiven, saved from sin and death. And that, that is what makes love take root in our hearts. That's what they missed, and that's what the Samaritan had. Miracle of miracles. This Samaritan, who was an enemy of the man lying on the side of the road, this was the man who knew what love is. He knew better than the lawyer. The lawyer thought that love was just a way to get to eternal life. But love is meant for doing. Love is meant for the one to be loved. Love is giving and sacrificing. Love is not finding your own way or seeking your own gain or pursuing your own passions and desires. Love is all about serving your neighbor and honoring God with your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. The Levite and the priest were unimpressed, it seems, by God's lavish display of love. They are impressed, as so many are, by other things, by talent, by extraordinary success, by worldly success. Those things seem really impressive to us, but what should impress us? What should captivate our hearts? What should draw our attention and make us say, I want to be like that? None other than this Samaritan, who not only gives good wishes to this man lying on the side of the road, but takes him up and anoints him, puts him on his donkey, and promises to pay whatever it will cost to make him well. What should captivate our hearts but the love of God for us in Christ Jesus, who while we were still enemies of him, breathing threats and murder against God, wanting nothing to do with him, wanting to go our own way straight to hell, he sent his son to die for us. And he gave everything he had to cover our sins. He took on himself the punishment for every last thing we did against him. He absorbed it all and buried it so that it cannot hurt us any longer. If that does not impress our hearts, then we are hopeless Let that impress your hearts. This love of God for you in Christ Jesus, let this love awaken in your hearts a love for God and a love for your neighbor. See in God's law an invitation to be like God himself, to do what is good in a world that has no idea what is good, to do what is good contrary to the desires of your heart, which seek their own good and their own gain, Learn from God what is good and true and holy. Go and do likewise. 
There are two ways this man, this lawyer, could hear those words. After all of this rigmarole, after this questioning and hearing this story, there are two ways he could hear those words, go and do likewise. He could hear that and say, I can't do it, or I won't do it, or I want nothing to do with that. And then he would still remain under the weight of God's law, always condemning him, always needing to justify himself. But if instead he hears those words, go and do likewise, as an invitation to the life of God, to an eternal life, full of love and never hatred, joy and never bitterness, blessings and never sorrow or grief. If he hears it as that, then, instead of desiring to justify himself, instead of trying to make excuses or find a way out, he can pray earnestly, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Desiring to love as he has been loved, he can say, Lord, help me and make me what I am not. Let that be your prayer, and let that be your confidence as well, for that is precisely what God wants to do for you. That is why he sent his son to die for you, to rescue you from sin and to raise you to immortality and eternal life, full of love of your heavenly Father and love for your neighbors. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen.